Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. The following podcast is part three in the series, Contending for the Faith. This is the morning session of Sunday the 26th of April 2009, entitled, Exposing the Error. And the Bible reading is the book of Jude, chapters 1 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me to honor the reading of God's Word as we read from Jude beginning in verse 1. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. And the angels which kept not their first estate but left their own habitation He hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, all these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not. For what they know naturally as brute beast, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them. For they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. These are spots in your feast of charity. When they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about of winds. Trees whose fruit withereth without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame. Wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment upon all and to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have ungodly committed and of all their hard speeches which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lust. Their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in admiration because of advantage. But beloved, Remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit, but ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Father, we truly thank you from the depths of our heart, Lord, for this time that you have given us the health, the strength, Lord, the privilege to be able to come together in this place that has been set aside, dedicated to you and for your work and for your worship. And Father, as we gather here today, we are fully aware of our need for you. Lord, for those that might be in our midst that have never genuinely forsaken their old lives, that have never genuinely humbled themselves as sinner and sought that mercy that can only come through what Jesus Christ accomplished for us on Calvary, may this be the day, Lord, that they would no longer procrastinate and, and put it off, but may they commit their lives to the one who died for them on the cross this day. Father, for each and every one of your children that are here today, you know the needs of the individuals. You know the needs of our day. Lord, I pray that as we look once again into your word, that by the power of your spirit, you may speak to our hearts, encourage us, strengthen us. Lord, help us to be those that are willing to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. For in Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. That is our scene. And in our first two messages in this series, we have looked at the first four verses in the book of Jude, and we focused on the simple thought of what it means to earnestly contend. We saw in the first message that there is a fight to be fought for a faith in its fullness, on a foundation that's firm, and then secondly, against a foe that's a fraud. He's snuck in. He's not the real thing. He's artificial, but he tries to make himself appear as genuine. And as we look today at the next verses, and, you know, we could spend a long time on just these verses. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 16 as a group with the thought of, uh, I first started to call it exposing the enemy. But in fact, I've called it exposing the error. We know that he is our enemy. But the truth is, is that it is error that has crept in by the enemy time and time and time again by the side door. Now, as we look there today, as we turn our attention to these verses, it's not exactly 
an area of what we might call a comfort zone for many people, for many Christians. In all of this contending for the faith, fighting for those things that matter, there is absolutely no question, mark it down, I will, you will, we will ruffle a few feathers. The truth is, is that there are those that will accuse us of being unloving and divisive because we're not willing just to throw in the towel and say, well, it doesn't matter what you believe. <laughs> we just all need to love and get on together. Folks, nobody likes to be loved more than I do. Nobody enjoys loving more than me. But the truth is, as we look into God's Word, that as we look around and as they would accuse us of destroying fellowship because that doctrine is divisive, that it somehow will separate those that are true Christians, how do we answer those questions? Well, there are many passages we could look at, but I would direct your attention to one very straightforward passage in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 7 that says this, This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. These verses speak of light and truth versus darkness and lies. You see, true fellowship can only come in the light. How can you fellowship when you're in darkness and you, you can't even see each other? <laughs> Truth is foundational to any true and lasting fellowship. Have you ever known somebody that had a bad habit of being untruthful, <laughs> of telling lies? You know, it's, it's, it's a very awkward feeling when somebody that maybe even that you care about, that you know, and they speak to you, and you just don't know. Are they being truthful or are they not? Are they telling the truth or are they telling a lie? You see, true fellowship will come in the truth. Your true friends are going to know who you are and what you are, and they're going to accept you as that. And I'm saying that when it comes to the doctrines and the truths of God's Word, uh, true fellowship will come in a binding of the truth, not truth mixed with error. We find that you can continue to read in 1 John, but you can look over just a few pages to the second epistle of John. Notice what John says in these verses. He says, the elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth, and not I only, but also all they that have known the truth, for the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us, and shall be with us forever. 
Grace be with you. Mercy and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I found of thy children walking in truth, as we have received a commandment from the Father. And now I beseech thee, lady, not as though I wrote a new commandment unto thee, but that which we had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment, that as ye have heard from the beginning, ye shall walk in it. For many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not in your presence, neither bid him God's speed, for he that biddeth him God's speed is partaker of his evil deeds. Now the simple truth is this, not only are we not to have those who are professing false doctrines, who are expounding those doctrines in our midst, but the Bible says that it's wrong for us to even wish him Godspeed, that we wish him good luck, that we wish that all go, go well with him. We don't want it to go well with that, which is tearing down the truths and the doctrines of God. John is very straight and very simple, and it is vital. On the other hand, it is vital. Notice that in all of these passages here in Jude, in 1 John, in 2 John, if you look through the Word of God, you'll find that truth and love are tied together. You know, even as Christians, we can be pretty unkind sometimes. Just because somebody doesn't dot their I or cross their T just like we do, we can be sometimes very, very cruel to them. Keep in mind, keep in mind back when Paul was writing to the church in Corinth, that when he's speaking of all the wonderful gifts that, that the Holy Spirit will give unto us, will bring unto us, that he says without charity, it's all worthless. Without love, it's all worthless. You see, we find that in almost every truth in all the world, and any time that there's a difference with that, that there are going to be people at far extremes. The truth is there's many today that's wanting love, but at the cost of truth. Whatever. It's just you love, you love, you love, you love. Well, the truth is, is that, yes, we love people, but we can't have fellowship. We can't know that genuine fellowship that can only come in the truth that God's Word speaks of. And it's not true fellowship. And it's not true love. You see, you're not doing anybody a favor. If they are going contrary to the Word of God, you tell them it doesn't matter. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's okay. That doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Folks, according to God's own word, it makes a huge difference. It matters immensely. And what he says here that in true love, part of it is the commandments, following what God has given to us, walking in those commandments that he's given to us. On the other extreme, though, you have those that have the truth, but they lack in charity. <laughs> they lack in the love. And they can stand, and, and you know, you can stand on all of the right things, but it can accomplish absolutely nothing because you stand there with the wrong attitude. There is no love that is, that is coming in that. What the Word of God is telling us is that, folks, there is no zero zilch, no room for compromise when it comes to God's truth. But there's no room for compromise when it comes to God's unconditional love. We don't not love people, and, and we don't find ourselves in a situation to where that we are dividing over our choices and our ideas, and that's part of what this series and. I started to say earlier, and I held it to this point, I could spend Sundays, weeks after weeks, just on these next verses that are describing these enemy and these errors that have slipped in amongst us. But that's not my desire to focus on all the, we're going to go through them, and the truth is it shouldn't be hard to understand and to figure out yourselves. But it is those truths, those doctrines that God has given us that over these next weeks, what are truly the fundamentals of the faith that we're supposed to be contending for? That which is fundamental, that which is basic, that which is foundational, which cannot be moved. And I want us to be able to grasp there are things in our faith those doctrines that God has given us that must at all cost be fought for, be stood upon, that we can never under any circumstance move from because it's God's foundation. And to move from that, we're going to begin to build on the sand which will not stand. We're going to become part of those deceivers because it's not the truth. What I want you to grasp is this simple thought from God's Word, the importance that by standing upon the truth of the doctrines, of the teachings that God has given us, number one, may we not do that in an unloving way, in an unloving fashion, but may we never be willing to toss those things aside just so that somebody else will accept us. You see, the fact is, is that everything that we do must and should be done in love. And yes, when they accuse us of this statement that doctrine divides, they're not meaning it in the way, but that is true. Doctrine does divide. It's God's doctrine that divides truth from error. That's why that I began to choose this, exposing the error. True doctrine 
God's doctrine, God's teachings. They separate the truth from the error. Now, from our text in Jude, earlier in this book, we spoke Sunday before last on the firm foundation upon which we must stand. Now, in these verses before us, we'll see that contending for the faith, there is an absolute need for exposing the error. We must be willing to expose the error. Now, having given warning of these men that have crept in, snuck in, unawares, undetected, he goes on to expose the error by reminding them of just what apostasy, first of all, has done in the past and what it will do in the present if these ungodly people, as he calls them, have their way and are allowed to work in our midst. You see, I've really broke this down into two things. First of all, he shows them by showing now. Everybody remember, in the last couple of weeks, we've talked about this thing of apostates, of apostasy. Remember, an apostate is one that has held the truth, but has turned from it. He's known the truth, but he's turned away from it. An agnostic hadn't decided what the truth is yet. <laughs> he had to figure out what he believes. But an apostate is one that has turned away from the truth. And that is precisely what we find here. First of all, apostasy historically. Remember the past. Remember what apostasy has done historically. And notice what he says to them here. That's exactly in verse 5. He says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. The truth is, he's not revealing some new revelation to them here. He said, this is something that you already knew. It might help if we remember last week, we look back into Deuteronomy chapter 13. And as we read that chapter, I will not take time to read it all again, but let me remind you what we looked at there. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and giveth thee a sign or a wonder and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee saying let us go after other gods which thou hast not known and let us serve them he says thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. There's a place for you to be walking. You see, their teachings are not based upon the foundation of Christ and His Word, but upon dreams that they have dreamed. Now listen to me. Those dreams are real. People really have dreams, but dreams nonetheless because they're deceptive. 
I, I've had many people over the years that have told me that their prophecies, that their dreams, that their tongues and etc. are real. Why? Because they've experienced it. Their revelations are real because they've had them. Their tongues are real because they've spoke them. I say to you, listen, it is not, I am not their judge. They will answer to all of that with God one day, but I will say this, what a very dangerous place to be. What kind of foundation is that? When the Bible itself teaches us that our heart is deceitful above all things. We can't allow our experiences, no matter how real they are, to interpret what God's Word means and what God's Word says. He's making it clear to them, even back in Deuteronomy, it's God's Word that's got to interpret. He said, even if these come among you, and even if they tell you of their prophecies and their dreams, and even if they come to pass, and even if they show you all the signs and wonders and everything to go along with it, if it's contrary to what God says, don't have anything to do with it. You see, the fact is, is that wonders can be deceptive. People can do amazing things. You know that there are many, many tribes in the jungles that have never heard of Jesus Christ that know nothing of God. And they can have their dreams and they can speak in their tongues and they can do all these things. I promise you this, for anything that is genuine and real with God, for anything that's worth having, you better count on the fact that Satan will have a counterfeit. He'll have something that looks right, that smells right, but it's there to deceive you. You see, let God's Word Stand on its own. God's Word must interpret God's Word, not our experiences interpret what He means by it. We find that we need to keep in mind. Keep in mind. We're talking about apostasy. We're talking about people that have known the truth. Now, we're given three historical examples of just how this works. He begins there, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this. This is not a new revelation. This is a reminder of something that you already know because God's already recorded it for you in his word. We find that people have and can be turned from the truth. Do you know that just because you have the truth and know the truth today. That in itself is no guarantee that you'll continue in that truth. And if Satan can do anything, folks, we've seen it. We've seen it happen to others. And that's what the Word of God is trying to teach. Look what's happened to others. It can happen to you. Look at where it's taken others. Be warned by what's taken place in the past, by what you've seen, by what God has shown you in His Word. He gives us some historical examples of apostasy here. Remember the past. 
Remember what caused this. Remember what the consequences were. First of all, he says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that believed not. Mark this down. Unbelieving faith brought eventual destruction. A lack of faith will be your downfall. Unbelief will eventually destroy you. Israel, they should have known better. They were all saved out of the, the land of Egypt by one of the greatest miracles ever recorded in history right before their eyes. They were part of it. And yet, we're reminded here of them that believed not. They were destroyed because they believed not. Why would any of them not believe? They knew the truth of God's deliverance out of captivity when he brought them out of Egypt, when he brought them across on dry land. They knew it. They didn't just see it. They didn't just hear about it. They experienced it. And yet, the Bible teaches us that when those spies brought those evil reports, that 10 out of the 12 of them believed that what lied ahead of them, although God had promised them that that land was theirs, though God had promised them that it, they would be victorious, 10 out of those 12 spies, they came back with unbelief. <laughs> There's no way. You should see the size of those people. You should see what's waiting for. There is no way. They chose to believe the circumstances before their eyes rather than to believe God that had promised them faithfully and clearly what he would do for them. You see, they simply turned from what they genuinely knew. They had believed. They had known, but they turned from it. The cause, unbelief. The unbelief of those spies influenced and brought about the unbelief in the whole congregation. It started out with just a few unbelievers, but it spread through all of them, save for Joshua and Caleb, bless their hearts. The consequences, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness and eventual destruction. None of those that disbelieved were allowed to enter in because of their unbelief. The truth is, unbelieving faith brought their eventual destruction. Now, we could get into a lot of things, but let me just leave you this, because that's not our main emphasis there. I, I know that many would take that the promised land that Canaan is symbolic of heaven. I don't accept that. There aren't going to be any enemies to fight off in heaven. Believe it, it is symbolic of where the Christian can live in this life. The truth is, is that many 
many, many Christians, because of their unbelief, they can't enter in the joy, the blessings of what God has for them right here in the here and now because of their unbelief. Not only do we see that unbelieving faith brought their eventual destruction, but we see that unchecked pride brought everlasting chains, everlasting bondage. You see, and the angels, in verse 6, which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he hath reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Angels. They left their first estate. They left the place where they lived in harmony and, and, and dignity. They should have known better. It wasn't because they didn't know. They were there. Can you imagine? living in part of God's angelic realm, living in that heavenly realm, and then knowing all of that to turn aside. And yet, they did. They knew the truth, but they turned from that truth, and it cost them dearly. Why? What was the cause? Their unchecked pride. Lucifer is the one that rose up in the midst to begin with, with all of his pride. He was the one that was going to be the greatest. Those other angels should have known better. Lucifer should have known better himself. But the problem is, once Lucifer rose up, it began to spread. <laughs> and it spread to those other angels. They knew the truth, but they were influenced by Satan and his pride. They began to believe a lie. Unchecked pride. The consequence, he says, everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of that great day. Bondage, along with Satan, they will literally be bound for a thousand years while Christ rules and reigns upon this earth during the millennial reign. And they will, at the end of that millennium, they will face judgment. God himself would judge just as all of those that stand before the great white throne that are not in Jesus Christ. They will be judged. You know what's interesting? Notice that he says here, he hath reserved in everlasting chains. He hath reserved. Do you know that that word reserved in the Greek is in the perfect tense showing the absolute certainty of that fact. There's no question about it. There is absolutely no doubt whatsoever. Unbelieving faith. He says, remember the past. Remember what apostasy has done historically for the nation of Israel. Their unbelieving faith brought their eventual destruction for the angels in heaven. Their unchecked pride brought everlasting chains for them in darkness. And in verse 7, unbridled lust brought eternal fires. Even as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication and going after strange flesh, are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal 
fire. Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them. You know, we don't know a lot about those cities before their sin, but we do know some things for certain. We know that there was a point somewhere when they turned from truth that they had once known. How do you know that? Well, it says, first of all, here it says, giving themselves over. They had to be one place if they were going to give themselves over to something else. God said there came a time when they obviously weren't in the first place, but there came a time when they gave themselves over those old fleshly lust. We find that the cause, unbridled lust. What did they give themselves over to? Fornication and going after strange flesh. It's interesting, that word. Strange women is often referred to in the Scriptures as a prostitute. And, of course, the strangeness there can also refer to homosexuality. When we begin to study about Sodom and Gomorrah, we know that all of this was rampant in their, in their midst. The word used there for fornication also carries with it the idea of out-and-out out fornication. I mean, utterly. We find that they begin to go after this strange flesh. It carries the thought of turning from purity and going after the flesh instead. You see, he paints us a pretty plain picture here of where they went from and where they went to. Remember also, what was Lot trying to bargain with God about? About finding righteous people in the city. <laughs> there must have been a thought on both of them that there, there must have been righteous people at one time, and he thought he could still find that many, but the truth was they weren't left there anymore. There had been in the past, but there was no longer the people of God had been influenced and lured away, what? By promiscuous lifestyles, by unbridled lust of the sinful flesh. The consequence are set forth for an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. They're set forth as an example. They're held up into view as a warning for you, he says. Suffering. Something else interesting, God's Word. <laughs> you know, words aren't by accident. Why, why are we so concerned about God's Word, about it being preserved in His perfect state that He's given it to us? The word suffering here, it's a present participle. You know what that means? When He says that they were suffering, it means they were suffering then and now, 4,000 years later, they're still suffering now. The word carries the whole time span. Then and now. Then in Lot's day, that same punishment is still theirs today. You see, we need to remember the past. We need to look at these three historical examples of apostasy, of people that knew better, of people knowing the truth but turning from it. Why? 
because of the influence in every instance of ungodly people around them, whether it be in their unbelief, in their unbridled uh, lust, whether it be, or in their unbridled pride, or whether it be in their unbridled lust. You see, the truth is that God will use those around us to turn us from just as surely as Satan wants to turn us from the truth to the lie. God wants to turn us to his truth. God wants us to stand up on his word. We know better. Doesn't matter what they dream, doesn't matter what they think, doesn't matter what they experience and show and all those things. If anything goes contrary to what God says, you stand where God said it. Whether you understand it fully or whether you don't, remember, these have sneaked in unaware. Satan's tricks are usually pretty subtle. God hates apostasy. He shows us how displeased he is as he exposes the error of these from their past. He is showing us here the importance. He's got through telling us, as we've got before us up here this morning, you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Remember the past. Remember what apostasy has done. We need to keep his word pure. We need to keep it true. We find that that's the challenge to each and every one of us as we look around us today. You see, if you're here today, and if you don't have that certainty, there's too many people walking around with the uncertainty of where they will spend eternity. They, they're maybe good people. They have good intentions. They may have a, a respect and a love for God. But the truth is, they've never, ever, ever humbled themselves before God. Ask the only, there's only one person in all the world that can grant you forgiveness, and that's God. And there's only one way you can receive that forgiveness. And that's through God's mercy upon you. You can only cry out for mercy. You can't go and say, but God, I deserve another chance. I deserve to be forgiven. No. The truth is, and we'll be looking at that over the next weeks, one of the fundamentals that we'll be looking at is the gospel and the reality of what the gospel is. Man can't make it what he wants to make it. But if you're here today, thank God his word has been preserved. Jesus Christ has not returned yet. There's time for you today to seek that forgiveness from God based solely and totally upon Jesus Christ, His sacrifice. He paid the sacrifice. He paid for your sin. But you've got to receive it yourself. It doesn't just happen automatically. You must commit your life to Him. And here today, only because that truth has been preserved. Because you see, if the devil had his way, you might be sitting somewhere this morning. And all we've got our imperfections, believe it. If you haven't seen them all yet, just hang around. You'll find more and more of them. But thank God, I believe with all my heart, 
with God's word that we have before us. I thank God that this church still stands upon the truth of the gospel. Not just what satisfies man, not man's ideas and man's ways, but simply what God says. And if you're here today and if you don't have that certainty, that's exactly where we will take you today. If you desire, we show you in God's word what you need to do to be a child of God, to be forgiven for your sins. And we'd love to be able to do that. Not what we say, but what God says. And Christians, oh, we need to contend for the faith like never before. Remember the past. Look at what apostasy has done. Recognize the danger. Just because you know the truth doesn't mean we need to realize. We've got to fight for some things. Don't let them slide. Don't let them slip. God's truths are vital. God's truths are important. You know, the devil tries to slip in just a little bit at a time, doesn't he? <laughs> a little toehold here, a little toehold there. Well, you know it. He's got the door pushed open. He's right in there. He's taken over. Mm -hmm.